0: Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Viewed to be the best.
1: Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. We don't like to have pre-recorded shows very much, but every now and then it's one of those things you have to do. This is one of those weeks, as I speak to you right now, the real me is actually on board Independence of the Seas. As we get going on the first day... Of the Dog Nation Cruise. And obviously, so many of you are on there with us, which we're excited about. But the one thing about being in the middle of the Caribbean, the middle of the ocean, if you will, it makes doing the show pretty hard. We tried to do some of that last year. Logistically speaking, it's just a little bit of a challenge. So, better this week to have some shows for you as opposed to try to do it from the ocean. Now, as I told you, we'll also have something kind of special on Friday, which we're excited about there as well. But when we do occasionally have to do something that's not live, we're very well aware of the fact that some breaking news might happen during the week. And obviously, we'll have you know video coverage of that if need be. But also, if we're going to do something that isn't live, we better make sure we work hard to make it good. So that's exactly what we're going to try to do today, including sometimes that means sort of searching to find things that might be interesting to Georgia fans that you might not otherwise have been aware of. An example of that here coming up. And listen, this is kind of the furthering of a topic that you've heard us address many times we did this even last week on the show with um the debate about whether or not what georgia experienced in 2022 actually counts as doubting and we had the we've obviously played a couple of times the funny clip from nolan smith essentially saying that he made up a pretty wild claim that there are people a year ago that thought that georgia was going to go seven and five and while that may have been exaggerated as you've heard us say many, many times before, there was an element of which the doubt that Georgia faced last year actually was real, that it wasn't just contrived. There was some of that that was legitimate and real. And some of that was for individual players, maybe like quarterback stats a minute. Some of that was for Georgia as a team. You know, no way they can replace 15 draft picks. They'll be lucky to win the SECEs, or it'd be a miracle if they won the SECEs. We heard some of that, you know, this time a, a year ago. And there were analysts are picking them to lose this game and picking them to lose that game, wondering if they could handle Oregon week one. And all of that was real. It may not have been what Nolan Smith says it was, but it was at least real enough that it mattered. And probably nothing was more significant than this time a year ago when Georgia was what preseason number three, Alabama, Ohio State ranked ahead of Georgia. And we thought the fact that It was seemingly unanimous. I mean, there were really very few people whatsoever picking Georgia to to win the national championship to begin last season. The extent to which that was unanimous, we thought was just a little bit silly. There was nothing wrong with saying Alabama could win the national championship or Ohio State could win the national championship. But the fact that almost everyone thought it was impossible for Georgia to win the national championship, something that it went on to do, we thought that was just a little bit silly. And then there was an echo of that last week, too, when ESPN released its first football power index this is all like sort of fancy stat math stuff and you have to you know have you know a calculator for a brain to understand some of it but the fact that Georgia was only third in this metrics rating system behind once again Alabama and Ohio State we think that reflects a problem and it's like the old thing about garbage in garbage out Geico is that what it is garbage in garbage out yeah um Geico I guess that is uh not the not the insurance company uh, the, the point here is is that if your formula spits out Georgia's number three behind Alabama and Ohio State there's something wrong with your formula or there's something wrong with the information you're inputting into your formula because we don't think that mathematically adds up Uh, Georgia after all hasn't lost a game in the last what 500 days of the back-to-back national champions if you need reminding but once again ESPN sort of back at it again seemingly begging for anybody other than Georgia to make this college football season interesting and listen when you're it's not that Georgia is hated. No one no one certainly thinks that. But boredom is certainly hated. And the fact that Georgia has ran away from the sport and sort of taken all the championships and hoarded them lately, that is boring if you're not a Georgia fan, at least in some respects. So the idea that somebody else... Could be good this season is obviously going to be enticing, and so there's going to be all kinds of shopping for ideas, workshopping takes about maybe somebody else other than Georgia, and we have an example today of a pretty prominent voice. And yeah, I think this ought to count as bulletin board material for UGA players themselves may not care, but the fans, the people who watch and listen to a show like this, you better believe we'll remember all of this. This is the kind of thing we sort of write down and keep a record of. We save the receipts, as uh, sometimes people like to say. Uh, to say and listen the voice I'm about to play for you is a guy that we like. I mean, I like Reese Davis from ESPN, ESPN College Game Day host. Um, He's an Alabama grad, I guess, but I don't hold that against him. I mean, to me, it's kind of nice to have people working in college football who are college football fans, and Reese clearly loves the sport. I've talked to him many times over the years. He's always really open to kind of chat and have some fun about the sport i like a guy like that in a big chair like the host of espn's college game day but that doesn't mean that he can't occasionally say things that are patently absurd i guess we're all guilty of that from time to time an example of that from an espn college football podcast the other day where reese davis makes a what he thinks is a pretty profound uh argument in favor of michigan as being the uh, number one team in the country based on what he seems to to see happening in Ann Arbor right now. You won't hear Georgia's name mentioned, but it's the absence of Georgia in the discussion from Davis that dog fans will probably remember come December, January when this playoff is playing out. So let me set the stage for what I think actually counts as more bulletin board material for UGA. Here is Reese Davis.
2: Michigan has a proven quarterback that I think is going to improve greatly this year. They've got the best cornerback in America, in Will Johnson. They've got some transfers on both lines of scrimmage, including a pass rusher that should shore up some of the things that they've lost. And they've done a really good job in the transfer portal the last couple of years, particularly on the lines of scrimmage. They've got their running backs coming back, a couple of uh, wide receivers that might even be bigger threats. Uh, transfer tight end from Indiana, I believe. They, I think if I had to fill out the ballot right now, based on what I know, You know, what i the type of production I know I'm going to get. I think I'd put Michigan number one.
1: That's ridiculous. That's the silliest thing I've ever heard. And here's what kind of frustrates me about this kind of stuff here right now, which is if you ask the average college football fan, hey, what's the best conference in college football? They'll say the SEC. Even non-SEC fans, for the most part, will begrudgingly admit that. But even if that's true, I think what still happens from time to time is is there is an unwillingness on the part of media types and things like that to want to acknowledge how wide the gap actually is even from an ESPN guy and moving forward in the future arms race between the big Ten, and the sec the espn guys are supposed to be our allies they're supposed to be the ones arguing on behalf of the sec because they're financially in bed with the league it's supposed to be the fox folks and the whoever else is that are maybe uh, trying to support the big 10 like these are supposed to be our guys <laughs> and you got reese davis making the case for michigan being number one because as someone who obviously makes you know money off of all of college football right now he hopes that the notion of michigan being as good as georgia or as he says maybe even better than georgia he hopes that true hopes that's true because Because that would obviously make college football more interesting. But if you want to believe that Michigan, a Big Ten team, could really be the number one team in the country and better than Georgia this year, you have to ignore two pretty important things. Like you have to pretend two very obvious things are not true in order to believe that Michigan could be the number one team in the country here this year. First of all, you have to ignore the fact that these two teams actually played a couple of years ago and Michigan didn't belong in the same field with George. Now it's different players, and that's obviously a couple of seasons ago but it ain't that different, right? The quality of player that Georgia currently has right now doesn't look wildly different from the quality of player that it had in the 2021 season. And the same thing is kind of true for Michigan as well. If anything, they actually seem less talented because they don't have uh, Aiden Hutchinson anymore, who was a Heisman finalist there for that particular year. So if you want to make the case for Michigan being number one, you better be ready to explain what has changed since the, what, uh, December, January of, uh, of uh, at the end of the 2021 season, when georgia dragged michigan up and down the field in miami in that year's orange bowl and even if you kind of disregard that and say that's two seasons ago last year michigan lost to a team that georgia beat 65 to 7 and i realized well you can't do comparative scores What is it transitive property people say you can't do comparative scores and things like that maybe not but you also (laughs) we're not doing some wild formula here we're saying these two teams played tc won the game tcu immediately turned around after having beaten michigan and played georgia the team that reese davis thinks michigan's going to be better than and georgia beat them 65 to 7 i'm not telling you that means everything but don't tell me it doesn't mean anything and that's just kind of where we come from on this so to begin the week maybe some georgia fans going to find some comfort in this they seem to like the idea of silencing critics and hushing up doubters and even after two national championships it seems like some of those doubters don't go away reese davis touting michigan as number one we'll see about that come the end of the season My name is Brandon Adams and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented today by Pella, window and door of Georgia and happy to have you with us. No matter how you get to us today, live on video, uh, not so much live this week, normally live on video this week. We're just on video, but we're still doing a show recorded as if it was live over the course of the uh, week leading into the start of our dog nation cruise so that's facebook youtube twitter twitch we're on the air on dog nation.com the dog nation app there as well just no first in 15 this week so we'll get back to that here very very soon of course radio athens sports radio 960 the ref podcast thanks to our loyal folks who tune in via podcast each and every day there as well and a big thanks to our friends at pella window and door georgia for making it all possible for you there as well energy efficient windows and doors Uh, They take care of you on all of that, keeping your house looking good on the outside, feeling good on the inside. The recognized brand leader when it comes to better higher quality windows better higher quality doors entry doors things like that the kind of thing that if you're in the market for it's time to have a conversation with one of those Pella experts it's no pressure discussion they're not trying to push something on you they want to educate you they want to explain to you what makes Pella better they want to show you the entire product line that can be yours they want to talk to you about the installation options that you might have financing options if you need those there as well I think one of the cool things you can do is also stop by that experience center in Duluth and put your hands on this, you know, the doors, the windows, the, the the samples and the examples they have in there to kind of really figure out why it is that Palo windows and doors have been viewed to be the best by so many Atlanta area homeowners for such a long time. And also take advantage of great savings right now there as well, because between now and May 22nd, you can get 10% off your entire project or 0% APR for 24 months. Uh, that's great savings from Pella Window and Door of Georgia. And If you can't stop by and see them in Duluth, you can go online to Pella of GA.com slash dog nation. That's Pella of GA.com slash dog nation. Also give them a call 678-638-1429. That's 678-638-1429. And when you have that conversation with them, you can find out what I told you a moment ago. The Pella window indoor door of Georgia is truly viewed to be the best. All right, we have a very kind of a little bit different kind of week. We're obviously pre-recorded Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. If I've told you Connor will be live video wise with you on Friday. We'll get back to everything, including the podcast and whatnot on Monday after that in our kind of live and normal format. But we still have plenty of great things for you. While we are away on our Dog Nation cruise, including speaking of Connor going to join us here in a couple of moments, we're going to take a deeper look at where Georgia stands now that spring practice is over. And of course, John Stinchcombe, normally joins us on a Monday, we will catch up with him again the following Monday there as well. Now, before we do any of that today, I want to go around the doghouse. I want to talk quarterback here for a moment because one of the things I've grown to love here on Dog Nation Daily over the course of the last you know few months is the weekly appearance that Jake Fromm makes with us now. I didn't think Jake was gonna be on with this last Tuesday, because Jake was up working with the Washington Commanders. They're going through some OTAs and you know, Jake's in the midst of, you know, fighting for a spot on that roster and, you know, getting a chance to be an NFL starting quarterback again. Like he's busy with his football life right now. But even in the midst of all that, it took some time to call in, and I was so grateful about that. And I thought that Jake said something really interesting about what he saw from quarterback a couple Saturdays ago when you want to go back to G-Day. Obviously, he was, like everybody else, pretty impressed with What he saw from Carson Beck, who we believe is in line to be the Georgia starting quarterback. We're going to talk more about him later on in the week. But it was another quarterback that Jake Fromm also took time to mention there as well. That's a guy who probably hasn't gotten as much attention post G day, but uh, Jake Fromm certainly gave him some last week. This is something you might not ought to miss. Here is uh, Jake Fromm.
2: Hey, man, I I thought the guys played well. Uh, It was actually super fun to watch, man, Uh, moving the ball up and down the field, throwing the ball around. Glad that uh, Bobo let him sling it. Get to see what these guys are all about, all the things we've been hearing uh, from spring practice. And uh, I mean, let me tell you, man, Carson played extremely well. Man, he looked like a vet out there, slinging the ball around, making completions. I mean, I don't think he had a completion until his maybe seventh, eighth, ninth throw uh, of the day. And even then, arguably, the ball should have been caught. So, uh, man, he he looked calm, he looked poised, uh, and, you know, was taking shots down the field and hitting them when he needed to. Uh, but also checking the ball down uh, as well when the when the play said that's the play to make. So uh, also love Gunner's play too, man. Uh, his first series didn't necessarily go quite the way he wanted, quick three and out, um, and then after that, man, he came fighting back, uh, moved the ball around, had a two minute drive, and everything. So Gunner played well uh, as well.
1: Isn't that interesting to hear those nice words from Jake from about Gunner Stockton? A lot of the talk since g day has been carson beck looking like the starter celebrating the fact that brock Vandegrift, who also had some nice moments as well the fact that it appears that he's not transferring uh because gunner's a little bit younger and maybe you know not not quite as a part of the uh, you know battle to be the starting quarterback right now seems like he's been talked about less but interesting to hear jake Fromm specifically si- uh, sort of highlight gunner stockton as a guy who performed well on g day and to me this sort of speaks what the future of georgia football could look like obviously there's a lot of chatter about the notion that a five-star quarterback like Dylan Raiola may eventually join this class and Georgia fans have you know certainly clearly plenty of excitement about that but I can't help but think about future Georgia, Georgia quarterback competitions with a very strong belief that I think that Gunnar Stockton is going to be a big factor in these competitions and it's not going to surprise me at all if Gunnar Stockton is one day the starting quarterback at Georgia leading them to the same kind of success they're currently enjoying and Jake Fromm's words there. I think you think that gives you an idea of just how true that can be. Now, as far as the guys who are likely not to start at quarterback, Gunner, who Jake mentioned, Brock Vandegrift, who we've certainly spent plenty of time talking about, what do the next few weeks look like for them Kind of as they battle for their own future and their spot on this team here right now? Jake's been through this kind of stuff before, and he had some interesting insight on that, too. Here's Jake Fromm once again.
2: Yeah, I think in the summertime and on through camp, I really don't think anything... Changes from an approach standpoint from those two guys. Uh, for them, man, hey, I, I'm still fighting, Colin. I'm still competing. Uh, I mean, wh- why would I? Why would I just just let someone have the starting quarterback position for the University of Georgia? Man, I, I want that. I'm going to compete. Uh, I'm going to fight and do everything I can during these summer workouts during camp uh, to still fight for this thing because I, I still want it. Um, and so uh, from them, from them and their perspective, man, I, I'm, I'm going to do all I can from a leadership standpoint, knowing this offense. Um, and, and doing everything possible during these seven on seven, seven of the summer, uh, being in a position to, to have a good fall.
1: Texas coach Steve Sarkisian said something interesting the other day in essentially naming Quinn Ewers as starting quarterback. He said he had confidence to do that in a way that some coaches might not because he believed. Just because he was naming Ewers as his starter, he knew for his quarterbacks on that roster that the competition wouldn't end. They're going to still fight hard, even though now they know they don't have the chance to start in September. And while Georgia hasn't named back as starter, it's fairly obvious that's where we're heading but I don't believe that means Gunnar Stockton stops competing, nor do I mean that I believe that means that Brock Vandegrift will stop competing. I think they're going to fight just as hard as ever because they want to be ready when they do go in, if they get that chance here this season, or when they do get that chance sometime in the future. And I don't believe that Carson Beck, if it truly is inevitable that he will be the starting quarterback, I don't think he slows down and rests on that at all right now. Uh, himself either that the competition is going to continue even if we kind of know who's slated to win it and I think that Georgia's probably in a pretty good spot on that and really strong words from Jake Fromm about what the next few weeks look like for these quarterbacks as they kind of move into the post spring phase of the offseason with the uh, upcoming season this fall looming sooner each and every day that is around the doghouse here on dog nation daily presented by palo window and door of Georgia today now we're going to do something kind of interesting over the course the next couple of days we're gonna have Connor Riley on both today and and tomorrow and we're going to kind of look at the various position groups for UGA starting with the quarterback spot and uh, you know kind of where that stands the other offensive guys here today then we'll kind of flip it over and do defense tomorrow good sort of post-spring survey of where things stand with Georgia so to get that started glad to have you with what well, is a pre-recorded show for us but still nonetheless a whole bunch of fun Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window in of Georgia today from Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead here's a dognation.com insider so as you hear this I am in the gorgeous tranquil blue waters of the Caribbean Connor Riley back home manning the fort for all things dog nation he's good enough to join us here today on dog nation daily presented by Palo Indoor of Georgia unusual to get Connor on a Monday and You know, kind of the, uh, I guess the analogy I've used here before is much like the State of the Union when everybody's kind of all in that, uh, I guess, chamber of the capitol building listening to the speech somebody from the line of succession has to sort of stay out in case everything something happens they have that person has to become president i guess this is what you sort of are right now in case our you know something happens to us while we're gone uh you can sort of carry on dog nation after we're all said and gone so it's obviously a huge level of trust we're putting into you uh for this particular week so thank you for being equal to that challenge
0: yeah hopefully the uh, ship captain doesn't decide to play slalom with any icebergs that might be out there and uh Hopefully you guys have a safe and wonderful trip and make it back A-OK. That's
1: exactly right. So what we're going to do here, you're going to be with us today and then tomorrow there as well. And I'm going to kind of like look at, I guess, where we're left with Georgia post-spring here. It'll take us a few days and maybe really a few weeks to kind of figure out some of this. But I'm going to kind of go both sides of the ball, position by position here for a moment, and just kind of look at some of the key takeaways here. And I want to start at quarterback here, if you don't mind. Maybe not a huge surprise. We've obviously all had our say about how Carson Beck performed at G-Day but, Connor, I'm sure you've been doing the same thing. I've been also trying to talk to people who know more about this stuff than I do. And what I have sort of found is there's a little bit of split decision, I think, with Brock Vandegrift, where, you know, some people who know more than me have sort of told me, yeah, I thought, I thought it was pretty good. And then I've had a couple of people who know more than me who maybe weren't quite so sure of that, and they weren't quite so sure what they saw from Vandegrift at G-Day on Saturday. So I'll ask you both G-Day and maybe the stuff we can't see from behind closed doors at spring practice. How good do you think Brock Vandegrift is right now?
0: Uh, You know, he was very non-committal when asked about, you know, the potential of entering the transfer portal after the game. I think he was very content uh, with how he played this spring for Georgia and, and the growth that he had shown. Uh, I do think the fact that it seems very unlikely that he'd be able to transfer within the SEC. Uh, I think that's a good thing for Georgia, because I can think of at least one school uh, that Georgia plays on an annual basis that would probably love to have Brock Vanneger as the quarterback right now, and probably another one as well. But because of his inability to transfer within the conference, I think he is ultimately going to end up sticking around at Georgia for another year because I think we've seen there's value in being a backup quarterback at a place like Georgia, where you're going to get reps in games, which will up big, and that I think has shown to help Carson Beck, as we saw this spring. And look, I mean, it's not a guarantee that Carson Beck, who I do think is clearly quarterback one number or quarterback one right now. I don't think it's a guarantee that he makes it through the season. He could falter at certain stretches. He could also get hurt, as we've seen a number of quarterbacks have happened to them in recent years, Stetson Bennett, Bryce Young, just to name a few of them there. And so there's value in being a quality backup for an elite program. And so I, I think Brock knows that he got better this spring at Georgia. I think he likes the direction that Mike Bobo has taken this offense and continue from what Todd Munkin has done. And I think, you know, long-term, you know, we'll see where Brock Vannegar's future is. But for the 2023 season, I think he sees himself at the University of Georgia continuing to get better and at least playing some type of role for this offense, if not as a starting quarterback, as a quarterback who will see reps early in the season and potentially later on as well.
1: And then very quickly on the subject of Gunnar Stockton, I think when you evaluate Stockton from what you saw in G-Day, you have to, in your mind, kind of think, What would this look like with one more year's worth of experience, one more year's worth of seasoning on it? And the truth is, Connor, I see someone who has the potential of being a starting quarterback at Georgia in the future and someone who I think could be a very good one. And I say that, obviously, you and I are recording this prior to whatever decision, you know, Dylan Raiola might make but even if there is a Riola in the future on the Georgia roster I see Gunnar Stockton as someone who I would take very seriously about one day being a starting quarterback at UGA I don't know that he's ready to do that right now but I saw enough on Saturday to make me believe he could be ready to do that sometime in the future
0: yeah I saw flashes of Stetson Bennett now not everyone's gonna necessarily love that comparison but the guy just won two national championships and the Heisman Trophy finalist in this offense for Georgia. And so obviously, you know, Stetson had to play a lot of football to get to that standpoint. And I think that's going to be one of the things that's interesting in seeing how Gunner goes about navigating that because, you know, he may be relegated to scout team duties once again this year. But with Brock and Carson on the roster ahead of them, you don't know how many reps he's going to get uh, in this 2023 season. And so I think it'll be interesting in seeing how he goes about getting the necessary reps to improve. But you see the skill set there. He's got the agility, the ability to move around in the pocket. He's got a good enough arm to make those downfield throws. And we've seen quarterbacks like Gunnar Stockton have success in a Kirby Smart offense. And I use that term very deliberately there because I think that's sort of where we're transitioning to now out of Todd Munkin in the, into Mike Bobo. And it's worth pointing out, as has been often done so, Mike Bobo recruited successfully Gunnar Stockton to South Carolina before Bobo ended up leaving to take the Auburn offensive coordinator job. There's a history there with the two of them. And I think Bobo, maybe better than anyone else, understands what Stockton's long-term future can be. And so while I don't expect him to be a huge factor in the quarterback decision in the 2023 season. I think Mike Bobo feels very confident in what he has in Gunnar Stockton going forward.
1: At running back, Connor... I feel like the only way to say this is that Georgia leaves spring with still a lot of questions to be answered. Now, even with the injury that Kendall Milton's dealing with, I believe I'd still predict him to be Georgia's leading rusher. And I believe I'd probably predict him to have more yards than last year's leading rusher Kenny McIntosh had. I believe you've even taken it a step further than that in the past. Maybe you still feel that way. But even if we would say, OK, we'll assume that Milton ends up being a healthy and very good running back this year. Man, I don't know that spring answered many other questions, in some cases because of injury, in some cases because you know, a guy like Roderick Robinson is still very young. Running back remains a bit of a mystery for Georgia right now, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, uh, and you know, you'd probably feel a lot better if Branson Robinson hadn't picked up some sort of foot injury uh, on the Thursday practice before G-Day. Uh, because by all accounts, he had a very strong spring, but to not sort of see any of that on G-Day and see him in a walking boot, uh, I think only raises further flags and concerns. You know, we saw Dejan Edwards out there, but he was limited for pretty much all of swing practice with a hamstring injury. Same with Kendall Milton there, who dressed but did not play in the game. Andrew Paul is coming off an ACL injury, and while he looked good last year early on, Kirby Smart has said repeatedly he's sort of like a freshman just because he didn't get to go through anything last year because of the timing of that injury there. So I, I, I still probably believe in the talent in this running back room especially with the fact that they're going to be playing behind one of the best offensive lines in all of college football but you know is there anyone in this running back room that you feel good about getting through a 15 game season fully healthy I don't really know that you can answer that right now it'll be interesting to see you know how Georgia goes about managing and playing around that over the course of the season we've seen teams in recent years struggle with running back depth staying healthy yeah you know Alabama in 2021 and sort of what that did to that offense uh, and how, you know, if they have maybe a little bit better of a running game, maybe they do find a way to win a national championship that season. And so while, yes, there's reasons to be excited about the quarterback position and the offensive line and running backs and tight ends, or in the wide receivers and tight ends, excuse me, uh, the running backs, I feel good about the talent level that they have there, but, I don't know who's going to be there every single game, week in, week out. And that's just part of the reality of playing in the SEC. But Georgia's got to have at least some clarity at, you know, hey, it's third and two. Who are we handing the ball off to here? Who's getting us those two yards we need It's second and two, whatever. You know, I'm not going to get into the philosophy of play calling there in those situations. But at various points, you know, Georgia's going to need a drive to really salt the game away against a quality opponent. Who's going to be the running back they trust to hand in those situations? They don't know who that is right now because they don't know who which running backs are going to be available to do that. And so I think that's the big concern for me with this position coming out of spring
1: practice. One of the things I feel like I got from Kirby Smart's post-game press conference after G-Day was confidence in his offensive line. One of the phrases that he used was, you know, one of the our, our offensive line is a strength of our team or something along those lines. Said something to that effect, and that's probably not a surprise. George's offensive line has been very, very good uh, the last couple of years here, a big part of the national championship story, and yet – this is still a team that's you know losing both of its offensive tackles, of course, and you could you know kind of go in and talk more about that uh, if you wanted to, even in addition to that. And yet, I think this confidence, the best that I can tell, is probably well placed. And I think it's potentially a pretty big signal here that if Georgia has an offensive line that performs in 2023, similar to the way that it did in 2021 and 2022, then Georgia, I believe, Connor, is going to once again be very, very tough to beat.
0: Yeah, I, I, you know, in the spring game it's hard to discern some of this because they don't run the ball particularly a lot, and they are dropping back the pass for much of the game. But there's so much institutional knowledge you have with Cedric Van Praan and Tay Ratledge and Xavier Tress in the middle of that offensive line. There's a ton of reason to be excited about what Ernest Green and Amarius Mims can give you from the tackle spot there. Austin Blaskey is maybe the most overqualified sixth offensive lineman in all of college football. And Michael Morris sounds like he had a really good spring there as well. So, they're six, seven, eight potentially deep on that offensive line. So, you know, unlike the running back position, you do feel good about a number of guys there. And Georgia, you know, I think pretty has a pretty clear path to figuring out who its top five offensive linemen are going to be. But as we saw almost all of the last season, they're going to rotate those tackles, they're going to play multiple guys and have a deep rotation on an offensive line. It worked a season ago. And this is an offensive line that is motivated for a variety of reasons this year. Obviously they want to go out and finally win the Joe Moore award award. I think they should have won a season ago. Uh, And I I have a story that I've run, you know, before this, this interview airs, but I also think, you know, the impact of losing Devin Willick and that has on this offensive line, uh, it means a lot more to this group than it does to the rest of the team. And and I think that's going to be something to watch over the course of the season and and, and the impact that that is going to have on these guys, you know, the desire to play for him that is going to have an offensive line. I think is going to make this one of the more special position groups we've seen from Georgia in quite some
1: time. That's a really interesting thought. Uh, let me finish with this, and perhaps this is wishful thinking, but I want to give you a little bit of conspiracy here. When we look at wide receiver here for a moment from Georgia, the last offensive position group that we haven't really kind of given a post-spring evaluation to, and a lot of this is based on what we saw on G Day. Is there a chance that Georgia intentionally Concealed Dominic Lovett on Saturday because everything we had heard, or should say, go back two Saturdays ago when when G day took place, everything we had heard was that Lovett had had himself a very good spring, and people had seen some of the scrimmage work. You know, thought that Lovett was, you know, a really. Very, very capable performer, and yet, yeah, I think we only saw two catches from Lovett going back to G day. Is there a chance that Georgia did not want to unleash this on the eyes of you know opponents this season who may have been peering in on the Georgia Spring game? Is there a chance that Georgia kept Dominic Lovett under wraps?
0: absolutely. you don't take a Ferrari to go to the grocery store <laughs> uh and i'm not I'm not saying that's what Lovett is going to be, but the buzz that we had heard he had a really, really strong spring and, and And, look, Georgia's got a lot of wide receivers. I think that's the position group I came away most impressed with coming out of spring practice. But you and I have both heard a lot of really strong buzz about Dominic Lovett. Not to get too in the reporting weeds here, I was kind of hoping he wasn't going to have a big game. That way everyone was going to spend the offseason writing about him and doing some stuff on him in that manner. And, And so, you know, digging deeper into his story, his background, how he's at Georgia right now, and so you know, he certainly looked apart from a physical standpoint. By all accounts he had a really strong spring from behind the scenes. Look, there's a long list of guys that didn't have very productive spring games who went on to be major contributors for Georgia moving forward. So and you can conversely look at the other side, guys that had big spring games that didn't end up doing a whole lot. So I've never been a guy that puts a ton of, you know, status into a big or small spring game there. My understanding is that Dominic Lovett is going to be a very big piece of this offense. Statistically, what that looks like, I don't know. They've got really good wide receivers across the board. They also have the best tight end in the country and maybe best player in Brock Bowers. But by all accounts, Dominic Lovett had a really strong spring. I think that's a great thing for Georgia. And even though it didn't necessarily show up on G Day, I think that the Georgia staff feels very comfortable about what they have in
1: Dominic Lovett. And obviously, there's been a lot of talk about, "Ooh, does that mean more three wide receiver sets if Lovett's as good as you described? And I think that Georgia's actually still really deep at tight end, even if Darnell Washington's no longer here to be paired with Brock Bowers. This is still a tight end room that would be the envy of most of college football. So I think that Georgia can play tight ends as much as it wants to this particular season. But I think the point that I'm getting to here is if we really do think that they're saving Lovett to kind of unleash him in the fall, then that does mean this Georgia offense will just visually look different than it's looked in the past, right?
0: Yeah, you know, I'm going to be really interested, especially early on in the season, the development of Oscar Delp. If I'm remembering correctly, Georgia did come out in a two-tight end set to start the game after they honored Devin Wood there. And so, you know, they're still at least showing that, hey, we're going to play this way. It's one thing to do that in a spring game against UT Martin. It's another team. It's another thing to do it against the South Carolina, against an Auburn, when you're lining up in that personnel, 12 personnel, 60% of the time as they did last season. And Kirby Smart has said, a lot of people have said, you know, Oscar Delp is really talented. He's impressed and gotten better as a blocker this spring. As big as he is at 6'5", he's not 6'7", 280 pounds. He can't move people the way Darnell Washington moves people. That's what makes Darnell so unique. And so ultimately the continued development of Oscar Delp and what we see from him, is he more of that flex-out guy or is he a guy that continues to grow at least horizontally and becomes a guy that you place on the in line and sort of functions as an extra offensive lineman? It worked really well for Georgia in 2022, but with the personnel changing in 2023 a little bit, and Georgia being, I think, a more spread-out team and having certainly a stronger wide receiver room, you can see maybe Georgia leaning a little bit less on those two tight end sets. And that's not the worst thing in the world because I can tell you, you know, one thing that they're going to want to be courteous of, as talented as Brock Bowers, they don't want to over-rely on him and lean on him too much. And so if you're able to, you know, cut into the raw number of snaps that Brock Bowers is playing while still getting him an effective target share, that's maybe a spot where Oscar Delp can fill in a little bit more and you feel comfortable maybe lessening the load on Brock Bowers played as an every down player and getting more out of him from an efficiency standpoint on a down by down basis.
1: Connor great stuff we'll come back we'll have a chance to do this again tomorrow and we'll look at the defensive side of the ball where I think there's actually some really interesting stuff looming here for the fall so we'll do that then of course thanks for your time here today on Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window Dorf, Georgia.
0: Yep as always it's a pleasure.
1: Let's take a look around the rest of the league This is SEC group. Great stuff from Connor Riley today. We'll look forward to also getting a chance to hear from him again tomorrow there as well. Great, great breakdown of kind of where things stand with this Georgia roster right now, post spring practice ahead of what's going to be a busy summer for the dogs getting ready to go for three and 23. And we can't wait to join them coming up on that journey. Prior to all of that, though, speaking of journeys, as you know, we're on a journey this week. We are on the dog nation cruise and boy, uh, I, I certainly anticipate the idea that we're having a great time with that right now and obviously it's a reminder to you that you can have your own great time on your own royal caribbean cruise vacation you're coming up summertime is a great time to do that and this is the time to get that book whether it be the three night the four night the seven night if you're like me every cruise itinerary begins with a, a ship that's going to be visiting perfect day coco K. That's that private island right there in the Bahamas. I can't wait to be there. You know, for us on the cruise that we're on today is embarkation day. What that means is, you know, you're having the big party, the ship sets sail, and, you know, you're kind of getting that first chance to sort of walk around the ship. It's always my favorite thing to do when you when you get there on the ship for the first time and you're getting a chance to kind of walk around, just sort of see all this stuff. Maybe you've kind of looked it up online to kind of get an idea of what your ship has and on that monday or that first day of that cruise when you first get there you're sort of walking around soaking it up for the first time maybe you pack that bathing suit and your carry-on bag so you can get changed and go out there and enjoy uh the sunshine and the fun right there in port canaveral before the ship sets sail and then later on that'll be doing that obviously we'll be having a great dinner all together on that first night And then, as I said, eventually making our way to Perfect Day, Coco Cay, Nassau in the Bahamas, and all the other fun stuff. So fun to think about that. And as you hear me talk about it, it's a reminder to you to call Jessica Slater, get your own Royal Caribbean Cruise Vacation booked up. Call Jessica 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. Travel agent specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean. To make the best and the most out of your Royal Caribbean cruise vacation opportunity make sure you check her out today all right so for our SEC through space this is what we're going to do over the course of the next few days as a way of kind of like taking a snapshot of where the SEC teams are at this portion of the year we're going to look at one big game on the schedule this fall for every SEC team as a way to talk about what's at stake for these teams here this season. Does that make sense? I think that's kind of a good way to kind of get a survey of the league here for right now. I think we'll enjoy this. In fact, I think we have plans to even do some of this as it relates to Georgia this week, too. So I'm going to look at a few of these here right now, starting with Alabama. And to me, the game for Alabama in 2023 that I want to highlight is their game against Texas in Tuscaloosa on September 9th. This was a game a year ago in Austin that Alabama was supposed to win convincingly, and it didn't. It did win the game, but it did not win it convincingly. Uh, it was frankly lucky to get out with a win. And so now you look ahead to 2023, where Alabama, as we talked about on our show last week, was, you know, highly rated in the preseason football power index from ESPN. They're going to be given a lot of respect in the human polls when they come out later on in the summer all of the preseason magazines will say nice things about alabama that alabama has hopes of returning as a national championship contender after losing two regular season games a year ago well this game against texas is that sort of put up or shut up moment when we find out how real alabama is if it's a convincing win if it's the kind of thing where alabama shows itself to be a tough team to deal with in its home stadium that has some reverberations for later on the year because tennessee comes to tuscaloosa this year lsu comes to tuscaloosa this year these are games that sort of shift back to alabama so a big performance at home here i think signals other big things that can come later on in the year and on the flip side of this for texas this is the last year for the longhorns prior to joining the sec things obviously get much tougher for texas uh, once they come into the sec they have a chance right now in 2023 to feast on a big 12 schedule and make that matter towards what is going to be the final year of the 14 playoff and i know everybody always jokes but the whole idea of texas is back and they never really are but it is not inconceivable that the Longhorns could be a playoff team. They obviously lost five times last year, but but uh, but it's not inconceivable they could do that. They had, obviously, a very high-profile quarterback competition this spring. The best we can tell, it was, it was won resoundingly by Quinn Ewers. Ewers is going to be a guy that gets a lot of NFL draft attention this time a year from now. This could be a big year for Texas but anything that happens after this Alabama game is all just empty calories for the most part if they don't play well at Tuscaloosa. Y'all, this is a good game. It's not week one, it's week two. Uh, This is a good game. This is going to determine a lot about this upcoming season, and I think it's kind of fascinating on both sides of that. Now, a very different kind of game, but one for its own reasons I'm kind of excited about. You know, The big game for Alabama we just said is against Texas on uh, September 9th. I want to kind of highlight two teams playing each other and call this the big game for both of these teams. It's September 23rd when Vanderbilt takes on Kentucky. Now, I realize you have to be a pretty big dork to be excited in April about a Vandy-Kentucky game coming up in September, but nonetheless, here we are. However, let me sell you on this just for a second. First of all, Vanderbilt last year was way better than a lot of people realize. Their season win total to start the season was only two and a half, they won three non-conference games in September. They actually won twice in the SEC last season, something you also could very easily forget. Then on the flip side of this, this Kentucky season upcoming is going to be pretty fascinating because I think Mark Stoops is one of those guys that he's chosen not to take other jobs or the other jobs that he might be interested in. He hasn't quite gotten that offer yet. And so he's kind of lingering at Kentucky, kind of feuding with John Calipari with a little bit of an embattled athletic director, Mitch Barnhart, And he's winning, winning probably more so than Kentucky fans ever thought they would. And yet still, after a while, that level of winning kind of grows and creates some fatigue after a while that he probably needs a good season. And, you know, you bring Liam Cohen back as offensive coordinator that was a high profile hire this offseason. You bring in Devin Leary, former quarterback in NC State. And as crazy as it sounds, given the fact that Will Levis is likely to be a first round draft pick, the truth is Leary could have a better year this year at Kentucky than Levis did a season ago. It would not be inconceivable for that to happen. And yet a lot of this kind of centers on, well, how good of a start can you get off to an SEC play? For a Kentucky team that needs a win, for a Vanderbilt team that has proven itself capable of getting some conference wins, this is actually not a bad football game. (laughs) Maybe a little easier to sell you on Texas-Alabama than it is Kentucky-Vanderbilt, but trust me when I tell you, this is not a bad football game necessarily. Then finally, there's this, and this matters to Georgia fans. And we're going to talk about this a couple of times during the week. I am fascinated by what's going to happen, same Saturday, by the way, September 23rd, when Auburn goes to Texas A&M. The reason why, and I've, I think I've said this before and I will say it again, that is the game prior to Auburn hosting Georgia on September 30th. Now, I don't think that Auburn is good enough to seriously challenge Georgia, certainly not to beat Georgia, but are they good enough to pull an upset against Texas A&M? and m will be favored that day uh, in all likelihood, but it is not an unwinnable game for Auburn. Well, let me ask you, what happens if Auburn wins it? What happens if Auburn goes on the road, pulls that upset to come back home and host Georgia the following Saturday? What does that do to the atmosphere for Jordan-Hare Stadium that day? I think it makes it more intense. Jordan-Hare Stadium, listen, I don't care how much of a you know Georgia guy you are. Obviously, I'm a huge Georgia fan. Uh, I'm assuming you are as well. Uh, we, no matter how big our Georgia fandom runs, we can certainly admit that Jordan-Hare Stadium is an incredibly tough place to play. And I would say that an undefeated Auburn, something would have a chance to be, uh, would make that environment even tougher on that particular day. And here's the thing as well, is that you know I think very quietly Hugh Freeze has gotten off to a good start in his first year there at Auburn. I think he made very competent coordinator hires. Um, it seems like he's kind of leveraging the transfer portal fairly well right now. I know he wants to be aggressive here prior to the portal's close coming up in just a few days, but you know, early returns in recruiting were not bad. This is an Auburn team that has a chance to be, at least be competent in year one under uh, Hugh Freeze. And if you are going to get a win, <coughs> excuse me, if you are going to get a win, you are not supposed to get on the road at Texas A and M. Seems about as likely a place as any, and it would set up a very big atmosphere for Georgia Auburn the following week. I am interested in this right now. If we're going to highlight one big game for every SEC team, to me, very easy to highlight that trip to Texas A&M as a winnable road game, uh, as a slight underdog for Auburn there in that spot. So keep your eye on that. We'll certainly talk plenty about that before the summer is done. But for now, that is cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. So this week, because of the Dog Nation cruise, we're going to kind of take a little bit of a break from our golden shoes, but keep sending them. And when we get back live again a week from now, we'll be sharing all of those. And then don't forget, while we're pre-recorded today, tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday, we will have a live video for you on Friday. So recap the NFL draft, whatever else might go on. Don't forget, we'll do that then. And if something really big happens while we are away on the Dog Nation cruise, we are not forgetting about Georgia football news uh connor riley who is staying back here to kind of monitor the news situation while uh we are all away he will go live honestly we'll try to join if we can but you know how it is if you're out in the middle of the uh, caribbean uh, you're not always <laughs> it's the best thing about being in the Caribbean people can't get in touch with you but in this particular case uh, you may be wanting to we may want to get in touch with you we may not be able to but we'll take care of all of that as it comes up for now though how about the lousy stinking gators how about a gator hater countdown 187 days from now Georgia getting a win against the Florida Gators we love the idea of that and we'll see you back here again tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia.